Today's episode is sponsored by Rare Birds Book Club, a monthly book subscription run by a female-led bookshop in Edinburgh using newly published paperbacks where every book has its own special edition cover. Featuring female-only authors, you choose your book from two short blurbs, so it's a surprise gift to yourself each month. The title of the book and the name of the author are only revealed when the book arrives through your door each month. But don't worry, on the off chance you receive your book and it's something you've read before, they'll exchange it for you, no questions asked. The team at Rare Birds follow up each month with a Q&A from each author on the book, recommended reading for what to read next, and amazing discounts on up to 50% off RRP on newly published fiction and non fiction from just 15 pound a month including postage and packaging you'll receive all of this while supporting female authors and a female-led business and especially for our listeners you can get 10 percent off the rolling monthly subscription with code bookrecos10 at www.rarebirdsbooks.com thank you rare birds book club the pals behind book records. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. Today we have the pleasure of being joined by Monica Heisey to chat about her new book Really Good Actually. Really Good Actually comes out on the 17th of January 2023 and is definitely one to pre-order, set to be one of the biggest day Welcome to the Book Recos podcast, Monica. We are absolutely thrilled to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We'd love it if you could pick things off for our listeners, Monica, by explaining what your wonderful new book, Really Good Actually, is all about in your own words, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, Really Good Actually is a novel about a woman called Maggie, who's 28, um, and finds herself unexpectedly divorcing her husband of a little under two years. Um, they have been together for a really long time and it's sort of her first experience as a single person, as an adult, um, and kind of her first experience as an adult, she realizes, um, (laughs) she handles a divorce probably worse than any living person. And, um, so it's just kind of about the chaos of that year and the way that she, uh, slowly starts to kind of pull herself out of that hole. Yeah. And it is so fab. Um, and I read online that you went through a divorce at a young age yourself. Um, so I'm assuming that might have inspired the book. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you're happy to, I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about writing this book and why you wanted to tell Maggie's story. Yeah, um, I did go through a divorce. Uh, I've, I've been a writer for a long time. And when I was going through my own divorce, I really wanted to read something kind of about or watch something kind of about the experience and I couldn't really find what I was looking for because most divorce stories are about people in their 40s 50s and 60s you know like who gets the kids like what are we going to do with the house and that was just really not my situation I was 29 I think and um and I just wanted something as well that kind of treated heartbreak with a bit of a light hand I'm a comedy writer um mainly and everything that I was finding to read about big breakups was just like so heavy 
And it is a really heavy experience, but there is something I think really funny about it as well. Kind of like from the beginning, like it was such a miserable time in my life, but equally, even then in the middle of it, I could see that it was from the outside kind of funny. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> I think there's maybe a lot here. Yeah. Finding humor in the moments that feel awful. And um, so thank you for sharing that. And um, you mentioned your background is in comedy writing and you're actually... Uh, your background's in television writing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, how does it compare writing a novel compared to writing television? It's really, it's very different, um, maybe in ways that I should have expected, but just didn't at all. I kind of assumed like writing is writing, but actually yeah. so much TV writing is so collaborative kind of from the very beginning. And with a novel, obviously, eventually you get an editor and ideally you find I was really lucky and I found two editors who I really um, work really well with and who have great ideas. And we had really like useful and helpful conversations about the book. And it did change quite a bit from that first submission to um, what's finally been published. But before they got their hands on it, it was just me alone for like a year, um, which was it felt crazy it was so it felt like uh oh no one asked for this no one's read it Um, no one's supervising me what's going on (laughs) yeah like I'm just I'm just committing to this so hard in such a long way without kind of any external feedback and that was really intense because tv writing is so you're in a room with a bunch of other writers and you're all coming up with everything together and you can kind of have a bit more faith in your ideas if you if you say one and the room kind of responds positively, you're like, yeah. okay, yeah, not just me who thinks this is funny. It's quite a brave move to go from writing television in such a collaborative environment to then writing a novel, your debut novel, which is such a solitary experience. What yeah. do you have a preference? <laughs> um, I think I really like getting to go back and forth. So right after we sold the novel, I started working on a TV show and kind of went went right back into the collaborative part and then we've just finished filming the tv show um and i'm like quite looking forward to going back to working on my own (laughs) (laughs) now you got the best of both worlds yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well i have to say writing a novel seems like it really suits you because your novel's great (laughs) and i love how there are all these little snippets weaved in so we get maggie's story but we also get emails or we get chapters which are her fantasies and Side note, um, I've spoken on the podcast before about when there's like a dream scene in a book, I don't read it. I'm like, this clearly isn't relevant to the plot, but I read every single one of the fantasies. So congrats (laughs) to you, they were fab. Um, But what I really want to chat about is the lists of Google searches, which I just love. So for people that won't have read it yet, um, they pop up every now and then. It will just be a long list of things that Maggie has Google searched. And I love how we as the readers can kind of, see what thought process she might be taking so one of them I made a note of one search is weird nub on thumb then it's early onset arthritis from phone and then it goes on to fillers for hands and like we know exactly <laughs> what's happened here and you can kind of make out what might be going on in Maggie's head just from the things yeah. she searched and so I was I just thought they were brilliant and I wondered were they hard to write or did you just let your mind run and then also follow-up question did you google them all yourself (laughs) (laughs) I actually haven't googled all of them myself I those little pieces in the book so there are sort of little interstitial Mm -hmm. shorter form pieces throughout the book 
were some of the first things I wrote, partially because I was kind of daunted by mm -hmm. the prospect of how big and long the novel was going to be. And I thought if I get a couple like little little things down, it won't be as intimidating. It's not yeah. a blank page. It's a page full of random Google searches. <laughs> um, but also I thought, you know, the, the book is very almost claustrophobically set inside the narrator's head. Mm. And so I thought I, I should do some exercises to kind of get to know her really well. Cause she's, she's like, I've drawn pretty heavily on my own experience, but she's definitely a made up person. And mm -hmm. And the things that happen to her are fictional. Um, so using my emotions as a uh, during this difficult period as like a basis for a, a new person, I kind of did these character writing exercises. So like the Google searches were part of that. The fantasies were part of that. The kind of novel opens with a list of all the reasons that uh, Maggie yeah. and her husband broke up. And that was like the first thing I wrote um, to kind of get to know this relationship and the mm -hmm. ways that it was different from mine or the ways that it maybe crossed over with mine or... Um, you know, figuring out what the contours of this story yeah. were going to be. That's such an interesting idea and such a great way to build a really 3D character. Mm. Um, I, I think the Google lists just show how easy it is, particularly when you're going through a really difficult time. It is to become so reliant on the internet and almost block mm. yourself off from the world and just sort of live in the virtual world instead because it's a bit more controllable and you know it's a bit more insulated and um, and that sort of see that's sort of what you can see Maggie is doing because as her mental health deteriorates so do the quality of her google searches and the things she's searching for and yeah. her obsession with you know stalking her ex on social media or buying random crap on the internet that for five minutes she thinks this is going to solve all my problems and we've all been there yeah um and I think you know evaluating our relationships with the virtual world and the real world is probably something we could all benefit from but do you think Maggie's reliance on the virtual world is almost a part of the modern day breakup process now I mean I don't think it should be but I think that it is <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. sadly it's, so it's just so and I think that's true not just of like breakups with partners but just of anyone that you are kind of whether or not you've had a, a big rift or you're just drifting out of each other's lives it's so yeah. easy to feel like hurt or um or like set aside by people who are just living their regular lives and posting the way that you are posting the way that anyone else would be but because you've drifted apart for reasons of life or geography or whatever you can still see them carrying on and we have this like selfish inherent like knee-jerk impulse to be like well hey wait a minute yeah. as if you were expecting them to just kind of like stop doing that stuff yeah. because you're not part of it anymore um and it is it, it is painful to see evidence particularly I think of a loved one or a, a former partner um, starting to move on with their life. You know, mm -hmm. that's like yeah. the thing that you have to accept in a breakup and it does take a while. And there's a period before knowing that you want them to be happy and move on and actually feeling that way. Yeah, And totally. social media can be like a real dagger to the heart during that in-between period. Yeah. The temptation to just yeah. put tabs on someone and see how well they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it does also let you pretend that your life's going great from afar <laughs> and post loads of like first happy pictures. So, you know. And it's so obvious too to the outside world. Oh my God. Oh, like, oh. We love, I love to be like, oh, they've clearly had a breakup recently. You can tell. Yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) So more on that is that a lot of Maggie's biggest worries come from hypothetical external factors, like assuming what people will think of her for being young and divorced or wanting to work out so she can look great if she bumps into her ex. Um, And there is this sort of unspoken expectation that a woman going through a breakup should use the opportunity to become the sexiest, thinnest, most beautiful version of themselves. Um, So I, I personally think this book is crucial reading for anyone going through a breakup, not necessarily a divorce. And because it normalizes that part where you go into goblin mode, um, for a few months um so was challenging some of these societal pressures something you aim to do with the book or was that a happy accident <laughs> yeah I mean I think I just wanted to to explore them um and I you know I just inherently don't I'm interested in why that's such an appealing mm. uh personal narrative to mm. us like I feel like it just almost every woman I know the same way you can kind of tell they're going through a breakup because of the thirsty mm-hmm. picks a friend of mine says she can tell when someone's in love a woman's in love because they gain about seven pounds <laughs> and she's like I whenever I see a friend with just like a little roundness in the face I think like oh that's nice I wonder who who is making them so happy um and then kind of the opposite happens in a lot of breakups I find for women they just sort of like inherently are like well time to get very thin again troublingly thin <laughs> um so I, I think I want I wanted the book to just feel realistic and I didn't think it would be realistic to to portray a woman going through a personal crisis that didn't have some kind of food and body related. Yeah. Um. I feel like all of the women, I don't know how old you guys are, but all of the women who grew up in the kind of 2000s diet culture, mm. like the intensity of the way we were surveilling women's bodies and scrutinizing them were like, if you see, there was on Twitter circulating the other day, like, the plus size contestant on America's next top model. And she has to be like, I don't know, a size British size 10, maybe. Um, And I remember watching those episodes and they were like, you know, the thing is that you're just too big. You're just too big for the industry. Like you're just, no one really wants to see that. Um, And those are, you know, if you're lucky, you've like done enough work to kind of scab over some of those wounds. But when you're in a other kind of emotional difficult place struggling with your mental health for whatever reason it's very easy to pick those scabs I think yeah and it gives not that it's healthy but it people use it as it's like I'll give you something to focus on you can really focus on getting really thin and healthy and it's complicated too right because exercise is really really good for your mental health people say like well maybe you should take up running you have a lot more time on your hands and you're sad all the time maybe you should get some endorphins going um but but I think society has bound up the concept of exercise in thinness so yeah. intensely yeah, you're like yeah okay I'll get into exercise aka pursue thinness yeah and they're not the same and it's it's really hard to decouple those I think yeah definitely the objective of why you're doing those things predominantly when you are in speaking from experience when you are in an ex- in, in a you know a breakup like that it's to be the best version of your exterior not your interior mm-hmm. yeah and you, you sort of convolute them as the same thing at the time yeah I wonder what that is we just throw the concept of the interior I guess because the interiors are all the difficult emotions are yeah. so you're like I'm actually just not much at that. I'm gonna keep it <laughs> very <laughs> external <laughs> yeah 
Um, can we also take a moment to appreciate the character that is Meris, mm. um, who in the imaginary TV adaption in my head, by the way, is played by Lily Tomlin. I love um, that. <laughs> Meris becomes a bit of a second mother to, to Maggie and she clearly wants what's best for her, but gives it in a way that's very sort of tough love, dry humour. And there's this one line actually that I want to read because it describes perfectly in my opinion, Maris, um, this relationship perfectly. And Maris asks Maggie if she's taking care of herself, which relates to what we were just talking about. And Maggie explains all of the sort of quote-unquote self-care rituals that she's been practising. And Maris says, please, I don't mean your moon rocks or whatever you've done that got oil over everything down here. That's fine. And so is the sex messaging. But at a certain point, it becomes running. And when my when most of moving on is just getting out of bed and plodding forward. Call it what you must, but you need to practice walking around and living and being heartbroken at the same time, not in an exciting way where you're in the thrall of a new person or buying something outrageous or terrorising gyro, but in a way that where we still have to go to work when you have a toothache. And all of that is just to say that I could really have done with that bit of advice <laughs> previous breakups. Um so who who was your favourite character to write? Was there sort of a, you know, Maris comes across as so nurturing and also a bit of a, a role model to, Ma- to Maggie in a sense, being that she's a little bit older and she's divorced and single and living with friends? Yeah, I, I thought Maris was an important character to include, partially because I didn't want to write a book that was just like a bunch of people in their 20s and they didn't know anyone else in the world um you know I wanted there to be other generations in the book as well but also I think Maggie is someone who's so like so fleeing how she feels in the present moment and really thinks that this is how she's going to feel forever and so she can't imagine confronting it and Maris is someone who has been through a breakup has been through the loss of a partner she's just like you know Maggie has no kind of sense of the future at all. And Maris has like this whole life's worth of hindsight behind her to show her what things do and don't matter and what things are and aren't a big deal. And we learn later in the book that Maris is flawed as well. And there are things that Mm -hmm. she's avoiding. She's not like a perfect, you know, wise elder who knows everything, Um, but she knows a lot more than Maggie. And I thought it was important for Maggie to have someone represent that kind of like calm knowledge yeah I loved um Maggie's group of friends as well though I liked emotional (laughs) um and I liked I don't want to give away any spoilers but I I thought the ending to the book was like such a lovely perfect ending and I felt like I was in the friendship group oh that's so Um, nice (laughs) so as well as um lots of important topics that we've discussed we just need to address how brilliant and blunt the humour is too. Um, A lot of books which are described as having dark humour, I find to be quite depressing, but Mm. I genuinely just found myself laughing along with all the messy parts of Maggie's life, uh, which is so relatable and um, identifying with some of her ongoing internal monologue, uh, where she finds herself with aspirations as mundane as, um, I made a note of, carrying myself with the easy confidence of a woman who both has a tax-free savings account and understands how one works um in fact Lauren and I both said that the humor was very dry and British um and has that always been your sense of humor because we we're talking that you live over here now have you how long have you lived here and has that changed 
your humor have you always been this funny (laughs) (laughs) I've lived here a really long time and I've always loved um British writers and always watched like British movies and rom-coms like um I think the Canadian sense of humor is like somewhere in between the American Mm -hmm. and the British um so I, I think like it naturally kind of resonates with Canadians a little bit more maybe than Americans I had less culture shock coming over here to live than I than when I briefly lived in the states oh really um, yeah but my dad's side of the family is like is British so not like I mean they've been in Canada a long time but we have that North American thing where we like know you yeah. know and I'm kind of obsessed <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I've I've always like I'm I think the earliest kind of books I remember reading that were funny were all British like the Adrian Mole books um the Georgia Nicholson books which are like some of the I feel like every funny woman I know read those books as a teenager and was impacted by them (laughs) um they're just so funny and they they like showed teenage life again it was like all the books I was the YA books I was reading at the time were like very intense things were happening to these teens and I was like, I guess, but none of these are like what it's like to be with me and my friends where we're doing something so dumb and laughing too loud on the bus, Yeah, you know? Um, and I think sometimes people have a tendency to think that like heavy drama is the only way to really represent real life, mm. but life is very funny in addition to very yeah. intense. Um, is there a, a takeaway feeling that you want people to come away with after reading? Really good, actually. Um, the main thing that I, I want is for people to to laugh and I think enjoy it. I, I have the same thing as your books will be described as like a darkly funny. And then I'll read the novel and be like, I don't even think that's what the author was going for. with it. <laughs> like, I really don't. I think yeah. this is like a an interesting and well-observed story. But that it's I don't think they were there's not punchlines in here, you know, yeah. like it's not like comedy. Um so I really was trying to make like a, a very funny read um, with actual jokes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <main thing>. <laughs> I honestly did laugh out loud throughout the whole reading of it and have so many quotes saved on my phone, which just make me chuckle. And they're not your, you know, they're, they're funny because they're so everyday and they're so relatable. Like Jess was saying, they're just like little observations of, reality that you can identify with and but you've never seen it written down before or even acknowledge that that's something that you do as well yeah and you're like oh I am maybe I'm not so crazy like if other people are doing this maybe this is normal yeah I love to see that in a book um we will wrap up shortly but I just while I have you I really just have to ask about Schitt's Creek because it's one of the best shows that's ever been made and you wrote on the show and so I just wanted to hear a bit about what that was like Oh yeah, I, I it was amazing. I was so lucky. I mean, it was my first ever like narrative TV job. I worked on a sketch one season wow. of a sketch show before I got the job, and it was for season three and four, um, which was a really exciting time as well because people hadn't really heard of the show in season three. And then when we were working on season four, it was like, oh, I think people are starting to know what this is. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't watch it until season four came out and then I sort of binged the whole thing to get up to date. So yeah. 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 So it was really and also like I just learned so much working on it and then like writing for, you know, Catherine O'Hara and Eugene who were just I had watched all of their stuff growing yeah. up. I was such a huge fan and 
um, they're just the nicest people. It was like, it was really, it, I felt so lucky. Yeah. Oh, that is great. And at season four, I guess they're like such, you know, these characters, like everyone's like, oh yeah, they're really coming into their own now. So you must've just had so much fun with all the ill Davids and, mm-hmm. and so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a real pleasure to come into a show like a little later on. Yeah. Um, once kind of all of the really hard work of establishing these characters <laughs> done because then you know them really well and you're like, oh, great. So we know we know that this is what Alexis is like. Yeah. This is exactly how she would respond to being put in this situation. Mm. Or it would be really crazy to see her do this. Um, but she already existed so fully um, from the first couple of seasons and particularly just like from Annie's incredible performance that um, yeah. it was it was like not like easy, but like it was relatively it's a fun letter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hypothetically, could you see really good actually being turned into a TV series? Yeah, so it's been optioned for TV by a production. Oh my company. gosh, you missed that! Amazing. Yeah. Um, thank you. And we're I'll be writing a pilot script for it in February after the book comes out. So then we'll try and sell it somewhere. Amazing. Oh that's amazing, and that's yeah. amazing that you've got the experience for writing for TV. So you can write it yourself and you don't almost have to pass it off to somebody and you know yeah. hope that they do do it justice of what you wanted to achieve from it yeah. yeah do you have anyone in mind that's like your dream who would play Maggie who would play do you know what's crazy I get asked this question a lot and it's so you you kind of think you're further along as a society than you are and then you're like who are there any size 16 actresses <laughs> at all <laughs> and they're like kind of aren't almost mm. no so I think and if they, they were they've now of... lost loads of weight yeah from probably yeah. being in the industry yeah yeah so I think we would have to like do what they did with normal people and kind of go out and find someone exciting yeah. and turn them into that would be amazing actually <laughs> then you don't have any sort of preconceived ideas of who that actor is yeah yeah and they can you know, they can just be Maggie and not yeah. all of the other shows that that person has been in. And yeah. um, one final question for you, Monica, which we ask all of our guests on the podcast is: Can you give our listeners a book reco of your own? Maybe a book that you've read recently and really enjoyed, or a long favorite of your own? Yeah, I'm trying to think. the The one I mo- most recently read, probably everyone has read already, which is "Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow." Oh, it was so book. good. And I was worried about being able to get into it because I don't know anything about video games at all. But it was really accessible, and like I felt, you know, felt kind of dumb afterwards for even worrying about <laughs> it. It's just about the creative process, and that actually is fairly similar across kind of all types of creativity. And the amount of the themes and ideas that she managed to cram into one book, it was just like, it was really, really impressive. So I really enjoyed that, but I feel like everyone's probably already read that. Um, I'm reading Birds of North America by Laurie Moore as well, um, which is a short story collection. Laurie Moore is an amazing writer and she has a new book coming out, I think called I'm Homeless If This Is Not My Home. Um I'm really excited for her new book. So I'm oh, recommending definitely have to read all the rest of this. Out. Yeah. Lauren loves a short story collection. So she'll be all over that. Oh, well, thank you so, so much. This was so exciting for us because we honestly loved your book so much. So listeners, 
go out and pre-order this. We're going to have this as our first episode of January. So you've got two weeks of pre-ordering. Um, and then it means you'll have it as soon as it publishes. Um, but it, remember, everyone, pre-ordering also tells your local bookshop that there's high demand for this book. And so you'll actually be helping Monica out a ton. Um, and then they'll order in loads of copies and we'll all get to read it. Um, <laughs> so everybody go and get really good actually now. And Monica, a huge, huge thank you to you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That was fun. <laughs> I'm. This is actually the best thing about the podcast that me and you can discuss a book, but then we can actually just ask the bloody person that wrote it about it. <laughs> I feel like it was um, like, uh, well, this was a book that you put on our radar, actually. I did, because uh, I'm a Shit's Creek fan. Because of Shit's Creek. So I feel like this was a real moment for you to um, get to. I'm basically one step closer to being part of the Shit's Creek gang, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> Um, well, we really kicked off 2023 with a bang with our first author interview of the year. And our first episode of the year. So next week, we're going to have our catch up about what we've read over Christmas. But we just thought we had to kick it off with this book because it, I do believe it's going to be one of the biggest books of the year. Yeah. In, like, And it's coming out in January. That's nice. And might it be in the top 10 of the end of the year? Last year, we did so well. We did. What actually happened here is that I read it at the end of 2022. But because I hadn't taken... Because I'd already taken my picture, I count books over Christmas as 2023 now. Yeah, like when the review goes up and when we talk about it. That's Good one. When, that's Good when, one. You know. That's when it's legit. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't already, or actually, no, if you have already ordered a reading journal from us, firstly, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Getting a flurry of orders over the Christmas period and obviously in the build up to Christmas as well has honestly been a real treat for us and we get so excited every time somebody um, places an order and if you haven't yet but you're wanting to um, get your own join in the gang yeah and have something that encourages you to read more books this year then couldn't think of anything more perfect yes as we've said before, it is undated, so you didn't have to start in January. But there are a lot of people that like to, to do this sort of stuff in January. So now is the time. Get on board. You can be like us and the rest of the people that all have one, and we can be in a little club together. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> so much for listening if you enjoyed today's episode then like subscribe leave a rating and review it costs you nothing but it genuinely means the world to us and if you've got a pal that likes to read too then you should share our podcast with them because they might get a kick out of it and if you don't already then follow us on instagram and sign up to our newsletter at www.bookpuckos.com for a monthly monthly roundup of what we've read see you next week we'll be here and lauren i'm not re-recording that because no one listens to this anyway (laughs) 